I, you think it's all going to be, you know, glory and fun and ease. And I think as a kid, you romanticize it a lot. You think it's going to be really, wow, I went to the Olympics. Like his life is complete, you know, like he's, he's happy. He gets everything. You know, I don't know. You just have a very mixed, from my perspective, like maybe it's not true for everyone, but I feel like it's easy to have a really misconstrued opinion of people because you look at them from the perspective of them having done it. You never look at someone who's on the ladder. You look at the people at the top of the ladder and, and you think like, wow, it must be cool to be them, but you don't see the, the 95% of grind below them. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. This is episode number 205, and my guest today is Olympian Tristan Hollard. Tristan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, hey, Brendan. Nice to see you. You're, uh, you're currently yeah. sitting in hotel quarantine, uh, which uh, on the back end of now, which uh, I'm sure you're excited about. But uh, I wanted to, to get you on the podcast today to obviously talk about the Olympics, which, um, which is an amazing thing to not only qualify for um, and, and go through that whole experience of, of racing there, but also the, the backstory to that as well. Um, because as you were mentioning before the podcast, you only took up swimming seriously five years ago, uh, roughly, and, and then to become national champion in the 100 and 200 backstroke and to uh, make the Olympic teams a, pr- a pretty big deal. So um, wh- how'd that all come about for you in 2016? Uh, I swam a lot through high school. Like I, I went to Knox Grammar School on on scholarship and the expectation was that I would swim there and I had all right results for what I did, but I didn't really swim that much. Like I swam two or three times a week and I was known as Holy Hollard because if I got out of bed and went to training in the morning, <laughs> the coach would be like, Holy Hollard's here. Like it's, you know, I was, uh, Steve was a coach there at that time. I think he still is down at Knox, Knox, Knox Pimble. But um, I really, to be honest with you, like I hated it. Like I, what, hate, hate's a strong word, but I really, I didn't do well with the early mornings and the discipline in myself was one of the hardest things. So when I went to boarding school, where you had to go under your own steam rather than your parents driving you in the morning. Like it became a whole different story of, I just didn't want to do it at all. So the second yeah. I left high school, I quit, quit and gladly went on to other things and went to uni and, you know, enjoyed the life of not being a, a six, seven session a week swimmer at all or that sort of stuff and having a social life and yeah, spent two years around college. And yeah, that was really, really good. I enjoyed that, but it kind of got to a point where, I felt a little bit flat in what I was doing because once you've been swimming fit, I feel like if you're a swimmer, you can understand that you you don't feel that same fitness again in other things. Mm. You can run on the treadmill, go and row row a couple k's a day on the rower, but you never feel like the the cardiovascular fitness. I think you did as a peak swimmer. So, and, and that's oh, something that you missed, I, is it? And then that's something that you you missed when you went to uni and and weren't training. Yeah, at all. Absolutely, I always felt like even though I was in good shape and I was going to the gym regularly and I was doing other activities, but I never really felt fit in the way that I'd, I'd really like have classified it. So when I, in 2016, we had this, like we would go down to breakfast in the morning because I was at college at the time. You go down to breakfast and there'd be the big uh, projectors in the morning showing the, the Olympics. And so I'd be watching the Olympics in the morning at breakfast and, it'd make me want to run down to the pool because I'd see these guys swimming. I was like, Oh, I remember swimming. Like, you know, look at these guys go. That was really fun. Like it was a little bit nostalgic. So I went down and I got in there. Yeah. So we had the, the Olympics showing and like at breakfast every morning. And so I went down and did some sessions in the, the public lanes and got in preferably the fast lane by myself and did some laps. And, and very quickly after that, I joined the squad there 
and did did a couple sessions with Bruce. I forget his last name. Bruce was the head of the, the UNSW swim squad at the time. And the way I got into it was probably like two or three weeks after I first got in the water on the public lands. I said, oh, I want to race again, but I've got no time. So they put me as the first swimmer in all the, the relays at the state champs that year. <laughs> and I went in and just let off the 100 free. It was short course, short course state champs. And I let off the, the 100 free and the 100 back in the medley relay. And I did and the 50 we did a four by 50 as well and i did massive pbs compared to what i'd done when i was finishing up in school because of the two years of just growth and becoming a bigger human because I, I grew quite late i think i still haven't even only this year really reached my peak height and that sort of stuff so <laughs> i came in and did all these massive pbs just off of the fact that i was a much bigger human and instantly i remember i called my coach from my childhood back in Newcastle where I grew up, my coach from my childhood, his name's Adam Beisler. He now runs Swim League in New South Wales, if, you, if you've been around any of that. But he, um, I called him and I said, I'm going to go to the next Olympics. And he was like, all right, <laughs> yeah, call me when you do. Yeah, and I said, all right, I'll say I told you so and, and hung up. And I got the privilege of doing that earlier this year. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and what, what made you think that you'd be able to – that you had it in you to to qualify like did you just feel from those swims like okay maybe there's something here or like what was it because that that seems like that's a lot of confidence to have after um yeah one swim mate. It, it might sound a bit cocky i'm sorry if it sounds a bit cocky but it was more to the tune of i knew i knew i'd never reached my potential as a kid i'd never put in the hours or time necessary to reach the potential of what i thought i could do and so I always felt like there was a lot of headroom for what I could do. And I felt my results were quite good considering the work I'd done. I was never, never winning state or anything like that, but I was always right up there on the, on the podium or right below it and always right next to those guys who were training eight, nine sessions a week, super seriously. And I felt like I, I could have done that if I had to put in the time, but I think I'm sure there's a lot of people that felt that way, mm. but it was kind of the click of, all right, I'm going to give it the proper shot. And if I'm going to give it the proper shot, I'm going to give it the proper attitude of I'm going to do it all or nothing. And so so I remember after that meet, uh, state, I called around a couple of squads on the Gold Coast and I called a guy, Glenn Baker, who's my coach at the moment at Southport Swimming, and I said, hey, I want to join your squad. Because when I was younger, my elder brother, he trained with Thomas Fraser Holmes. And Thomas Fraser Holmes is probably the only other swimming Olympian that I knew from Newcastle growing up and he his journey in my mind I only had a vague idea of his journey but his journey always went to the Gold Coast was the place to go because he'd gone there and found all the success in his swimming so in my mind it was just like the Gold Coast is where you got to go if you're going to do it you got to go there because that's where all the swimmers are and so I called Glenn Baker and he said what do you want to do and he's like be honest about it I said well I want to make the Olympics and yeah and it almost makes me a bit emotional but yeah we we went through from literally from i was training twice three times a week to i went up there and instantly onto the the professional program it took six or seven months just for me to get the fitness to be able to keep up with the program and i was having shoulder issues and sleep issues and there was days you couldn't even walk up the stairs because you're so crook but you know and, and it was really hard at the start to develop the discipline in the routine was probably the biggest issue i had was wavering in and out of that oh i want to do it i'm not going to do it i want to do it i'm not going to do it like it's really hard to develop that because that in itself is a skill and then it all came together really in the end of 2018 and then 2019 we had a near miss 2020 is is what it was and then 2021 finally happened wow yeah 
and and in thinking yourself today, I say over the last two to three years, where you you said that that discipline and that routine, it's like it, it's a part of you now because you know some you you can look at people as though maybe as a teenager, it's like how you do one thing is how you do everything. You might be one foot in, one foot out, um, but then to yeah. develop that um, that dedication and and that ability to um, commit yourself to to something as as big as you have. Um, yeah, that's, that's it's a huge change. And did you, looking back, if you were a teenager now, would you see yourself in five years or maybe more than that, seven years, where you, you think you could that would be you swimming and training that much and and doing what you were doing? Absolutely not. Like I, I never would have dreamed that it would get to the point where it got to it. You know, like you always have images of how those people would feel or how it's. <laughs> easy for people to get out of bed in the morning and do what they do because they love it. Of course they do, but no, it's, it's not easy. And, you know, you've got to push through it, but the happiness you get out of, or the satisfaction is a better way to put it, that you get out of doing that stuff. That's really hard to do has just made, it feels like it's made my life at least 10 times better just on the fact of having a good routine and being fit and content and, and that sort of stuff has really made my life much, much better than what I would have viewed it as when I was back at college and, in uh 2016 and, and just really you know when i was just kind of living for the, the pleasure of things and doing uni and like i was just enjoying myself in my free time it wasn't as much about having a big striving goal mm. uh, and i think it's you know it's changed my life completely and so my view of what it was like back then to, to what it actually is like has been completely different but it's also been much much better than what i could have thought it would be How, how's it uh different to what you uh, expected when you first joined? Oh, you think it's all going to be, you know, glory and fun and ease. And I think as a kid, you romanticize it a lot. You think it's going to be really, well, I went to the Olympics. Like his life is complete, you know, like he's, he's happy. He gets everything. Yeah. You know, I don't know. You just have a very mixed, from my perspective, like maybe it's not true for everyone, but I feel like it's easy to have a really misconstrued opinion of people because you look at them from the perspective of them having done it. You never look at someone who's on the ladder. You look at the people at the top of the ladder and, and you think like, wow, it must be cool to be them, but you don't see the the 95% of grind below them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There was, there was three years there where, where I couldn't get support. I was working at the RSL to, to pay for what I was doing and, and, you know, no one really believed I was going to do what I did. And like, yeah, it was a bit, the only support I had was, you know, out of my parents. But then once you do it, like the change of the messages you get in Instagram even or, or things from old school friends coming towards you and, and picking up the past, it's like, hey, we saw you in the paper today. That's incredible that you did that. But they never saw like the four years leading into it or, or reached out in that time. It's just, you know, it's the idea of as though you, you cross this threshold, you become a different person. Like, it's like I'm exactly the same as I was four years ago. I've just been through stuff to change my opinion of what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. Uh, and I um, I mean, the it is it is a, a grind to be an elite level swimmer like yourself. I a friend of mine, uh, Sam Ashby, who coaches Geelong now, but he was up with Glenn Baker um, a number of years ago up on the Gold Coast, and he he would tell me about some of the sets that they were doing. He was a butterflyer. Some of them were like yeah, it was like fifty yeah. fifties of fly, all at like yeah. two hundred pace, uh, and just. Yeah. And, and I went and trained up there for one session when I stayed with him and it was, I think it was 3100s on 115 um, and I wasn't making that. Um, so yeah. it's like just, just some hard training and it's, um, and when yeah. you're that fatigued every day, like you, were there times where you were questioning 
your decision up there or where you were like, oh, yeah, am I doing the right thing? Yeah, um, not in terms of the overarching, like, am I doing the right thing for swimming as much as like there were absolutely times when I questioned, is this what's best for me? Like, is is my body doing good here? Because I'm always so... Because Glenn, he's, he's coaching is... I think it's what I needed as well because my issue was discipline. And Glenn's very... He's still quite old school in, in his style of coaching. He's like the old days of Dennis Cottrell of like more is more, I feel, relative to some other programs. But everyone has their own way that they focus their work. But Glenn's is like more work is more work. And it's going to get you done. And it always worked for me to... If I could get up on the blocks and feel like, oh, I've done more work than the guys around me rather than not that they don't necessarily do work but if i'm confident in the work that i've done then i think i race reflective of that and so i don't know but i got to a point at the start of this this year like in in march no joke where i had to have a sit down and a chat with glenn because i was struggling so much mentally to keep up with the program because we were just going every single day we were going really hard in every session that it just got to a point where I don't know. I've never, I didn't break completely, but I, I've never gotten that close to breaking before. Like it was really, it was really rough, and it was strange because leading into that, I had like two two weeks of getting gloomier and gloomier, and just sort of like miserable about everything. Like I was in some sort of some sort of torturous cycle, and then off the back of that, things really changed and sparked. So it was you know a big moment to have kind of come through, but. Like, I think the work does really well for me. But there's people that have come into the squad and said, this isn't for me. And then they moved to, to another program they've done really well in. So it's about finding, I think, what's good for you. And I think the the stuff at Southport has been really good for me. Specifically because I think I need a bit more of a heavy-handed approach in my training. Has done really well to to mould the discipline that I lacked early on. Mm. Yeah, almost you know, as forced. Yeah, you've got to be disciplined if you're going to swim in this squad sort of thing. It's um Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so it's a lot, but like I'm thankful for it in hindsight. You know, at the time it seems like a lot, or it might be too much. But then you you get past it, and you're like, oh, you know, I, I survived. It was okay. Yeah, yeah. Look at, looking yeah. back on it, uh, it's it's difficult yeah. in the time. And when you were saying the those two weeks or so where like things were getting gloomier and gloomier, was it the the chat with Glenn and just reflecting on things? Is, is that what helped you come out the other end of it, or was it just it was just like just timing and just one of those natural things that eventually went back up for you. It was absolutely the chat. I think that changed things because it got to a point where I said, this is like, I can't do, I can't keep this up. Like this is too much. And it got to a point where like, that was the first time I questioned what I was doing and it, it didn't shift the program. Like we didn't change things. It just shifted the attitude towards it. Like we had a really big open discussion about why we were doing the things we were doing and, how I felt about them and, and being more honest about the things I felt rather than just internalizing and just grinding through it. It became a lot more of an open discussion. And I think that made it a lot easier to get through what we're getting through. Cause you know, on days there were days where I think I'm one of the most volatile trainers you might ever meet. Cause I'll have a day where I swim absolutely out of my mind. Good. Like I think I'm, I'm, I'm swimming better than my PB. I'm going to turn around and do a huge, massive swim on the weekend or whatever. And then, the next session I'll be swimming. No, I won't even be making like one thirty pace. Freestyle, yeah. I'll be struggling. Like I'll be getting beaten by the breaststrokers. It's you know, uh, and it's just reflective of the stages my body goes through. And trying to maintain consistency was one of the hardest things in just recovery. Like trying to trying to get good recovery. And so we spent copious amount of times in the ice baths and in massages and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, it was the change of the the attitude towards it. 
after we'd had that discussion that really brightened the year. And then we, we didn't have that much. We only had like three, four more weeks of grind after that talk before we kind of led into racing season where the workload tapers off and it becomes more about your racing practice. Mm. And because, yeah. because not long after that you had uh, national champs, like was that three or four yeah. weeks after or maybe a few more weeks yeah. after that? But um, yeah, that's when, and you, and you won the 100 and the 200 back there. Um, and yeah. yeah, well, you know, we, we both know Mitch went faster in the heats in both of those events. Like he did yeah. some spectacular swims, but you know, obviously he didn't do the final. So yeah, yeah. it's um, still yeah. uh, never want to let facts get in the way of a good story, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like still, a, I mean, still a, still a great thing to, um, to be able to do. And I think just the reason I was asking about, uh, a quick note from our sponsor. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Form Swim Goggles. With these goggles, you don't have to look at the pace clock anymore or be one of those swimmers in the pool always grabbing for their watch. With Form Smart Swim Goggles, you can see all of your key metrics while you're swimming. Distance, pace, stroke rate, they've got it all. And the swim data is displayed on the goggle lens and you can customize the display to see the metrics that you want to. And I was worried that it was going to be distracting, but you can literally see through the display, the metrics are always there, but you have to choose to focus on them. It's really impressive. And it makes hitting intervals or any kind of specific training much more manageable and achievable. And the goggles track it all. It's automated. So from the time you start your session to the end of the swim, you don't have to press any buttons in between. It automatically tracks everything. Form also works with a bunch of the best pro athletes out there, including Lionel Sanders, Sarah Crowley, Hannah Wells, and Olympic champion Usama Maluli, to name a few. These form goggles are for all types of swimming too. One pair of goggles, and you can use them in the pool, the open water, you can use them in swim spas and endless pools too. So the same pair of goggles can be used in all of these different environments. The battery life is incredible too. One hour charge is 16 hours of swimming time battery life. And you can have the display on either your right or your left eye. The goggles themselves come with anti-fog solution that's used in dive masks. So it's great in terms of quality. And there's a protective case with a nifty drainage solution. So after you swim, you can store them safely. And while the goggles connect to the Form Swim app on your smartphone too, they will sync with the Form app and there you can review all of the details of your swim and you can see what other swimmers are up to in the Form Swim community as well. I'm a big fan of these goggles. I was really impressed when I used them and I use them for a vast majority of the sessions that I'm currently doing. To find out more about the Form Swim goggles, go to formswim.com and you can use our coupon code EFFORTLESS at checkout and save $15 off your order. Back to the podcast that chat with Glenn, whether that helped. Because I think for a, a lot of swimmers, they, and I'd say myself as well, not just with swimming, but perhaps with other things as well. Like I'm very much going through these thoughts in my head, but never, you never talk about them. You never, yeah, yeah. as soon as they're out in the open and you maybe bounce a few ideas or even you just get it off your chest. It's like, that's that's all I needed. It's like, okay, maybe I've yeah. just done this earlier. I just sat down and talked about it because then it's, uh, yeah, it, it, it just lightens the load mentally, uh, I think for for people yeah absolutely and you look at um the change of attitude as well from from pre because i hadn't raced since march of 2020 since mm -hmm. we'd been to sydney and done that meet and then come back and everything went into lockdown australian championships was the first race i had because we we'd had a back injury at the end of 2020 i hadn't been able to race properly at any of the meets there so in early 2021 at australian champs was like the first time i got to race after having done the big block and see what what came of it and so then you see like i did a massive pb and i, I won 
the, the I won the final by, by quite a bit. And it was this sort of boost of like, wow, okay, well, all right, well, let's see how far we can push it. And it changed the, it changed everything in my headspace. It went from, oh man, can I get through this? It went to like, what can we get out of this? Like how, how much faster can I go before we get to trials? And I was pretty disappointed really to never push further than that time. Cause we, we did that. No, no shaving went in and no taper really. Like we had a two day taper and went in and in an outdoor pool, even though it wasn't <laughs> my pool, it was still an outdoor pool. And I think it's slower. Mm. To, to go into a massive PB was like, oh, like I can do it again. But it was pretty disappointing to not beat that time again that year. But like it'll it'll come. Mm. Yeah. And uh, and then yeah, come, yeah. come Olympic trials. So did was it for you? Was it just about the racing more than anything, just to to make the team, or were you um, would you have well you know, preferred to go faster? Obviously, because I think point yeah. oh four or slower than the nationals in that two hundred. Like yeah, yeah, it was like right on. Yeah, um, but uh, it's it's really just about the racing there, right? Just to make the team. Absolutely, like the goal was just to make the team. Like it, the time didn't matter. If we made the team, I was happy. I didn't care if it took a one fifty seven or or a one fifty four. Like I, just making the team was what mattered. And we went in and, but the way I did that was not going at it as oh I need to beat the guy on my left and right. It was. If I go this time, I think I'll beat the guy on the left and right. So let's do yeah. race practice to go this time. So it was almost like it came full circle back to just do the time. Yeah. But it wasn't about doing the PB. It was about, all right, break. The qualification was 157.2 or 157.4, I believe. Maybe two because Ty Hartwell just missed it. I think he went 157.3. But, um, yeah, it came back to the easiest thing was having done it already mm. uh, earlier in the year. Like I really felt like. I was going to do a lot better. I thought I was going to do a lot better. I thought I was a 155 swimmer, but, um, you know, it just came out the way it did. And I think I just raced it as well as I could with the race plan I had at that time. And it worked out really well kind of to come back over the top in the last 50 was my whole plan and it worked out well and we did it. And yeah, defining moment of my life so far. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember watching it yeah. and just, uh, yeah. I was, cause it's, cause you're, as a spectator, you're on edge. You've got the the qualifying times, which are they're not slow. Like they're fast qualifying times yeah. to to make it. And we didn't yeah. have people in every event make those qualify those a qualifying times. So it's uh yeah it's it, it's fast. And just watching your your swim, uh yeah, I was I was nervous for you. And that last yeah, you Thank brought you. it home so well. And yeah. then to get the time and uh, and to qualify, I was like yeah, it was, it was uh, exciting. So what what were those emotions like for you afterwards? Because I remember seeing that um, post-race interview and, and you were, were quite emotional uh, there just thinking back about the past few years I imagine so what was what was going through your head there um I never expected to get emotional I thought I would always be really cool calm and collected I had a bit of a pride that I could be cool calm and collected on an interview but then I just kind of lost it but like I'm not ashamed of it it's just more that it went a different direction than I expected but I got out of the water and I don't know it didn't hit me until I started talking about it because the whole thing was let's make the Olympics and it doesn't feel very real given the, the year of preparation we had leading into it. Like <laughs> yeah. you think it's going to be this five-year grind that ends in a massive kind of moment. But it was really, it was like a four or five-month grind because we had such a big break in 2020 and then an injury. And so we came out of it and then it happened all really quickly across the course of like four or five months. Uh, but then talking about it, like I, I look up in the stands and my whole family was there and it was a very cool moment to kind of, take it in and I'd never had a big moment like that in my swimming before like I had missed quite a lot of teams it was my first team and it was like the first time I'd really had a victory that I felt like was mine and mm. like I'd earned it and I come out of the water and 
yeah, and I don't know, something about, because in the interview I mentioned, I mentioned that first phone call that I had with Glenn back when I, he asked what I wanted to do and I don't know, something about the moment of thinking about that in the moment just really it broke me. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, and yeah, it's uh, a bit of a realization of, oh shit, I've done it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so good yeah. to hear a genuine interview. Yeah. We, uh, a yeah. lot of sports um, people are, um, yeah, it's, it's all about the media training and make sure you say the right thing. But then to get a genuine moment like that for, for me watching is like, oh yeah, it's, it's great to see. And, and even now just sort of sharing, what you actually went through and the ups and the, and the ups and the downs. It's, uh, that's what people yeah, like to hear, yeah. not just the stock standard. Answers, lot, yeah. you know? So, yeah. um, and, and, uh, mm-hmm. after that, so you qualified, what was it, what was that in between part like for you? Was it, were you highly motivated and just like you wanted to grind it out for the Olympics? Cause I imagine just it's cause it's only a couple of weeks of hard training left to go when you're just like, all right, now we can really go for it. It was, uh, we had, I would say about five days out of the water after that. Like I'm not swimming down after that race. I went backstage and hugged everybody and went and celebrated and we went out and had dinner together and they'd had this big dessert of congratulations. And, you know, we, we sat down and and had some drinks together with the coaches until like 2am that morning. Like it was an amazing time. (laughs) But, um, when we get back, it was kind of, it was really hard to, to hit the ground running. Right. I think for me specifically because the big goal had been done and, and mm. so we sat down and had a chat of, oh, right, we've done this, let's let's reset and what comes from here. And so the, the natural progression was to say, well, we've made the Olympics, let's try and make the final, you know, like, like, let's get in the top eight in the world because that tends to be quite a big A categorization in Australia, like the, the, the top rankings in Australia are always based off of what the top eight are doing. So to be in the top eight is kind of like a recognition that you're in the top of your field. And so it was, let's make the top eight. And we knew roughly what that would entail and what that needed. And I didn't really think it would need much more of an improvement from where I was. And I still felt like I had things to improve for my race. So it wasn't like, let's go and do a massive block and train really, really hard and, and have six weeks to get fitter. It was like, let's just work on the things that we, we didn't do so well. And I think that was the way I took it out because I had a great trigger. We'd worked for a few months on the trigger of hit the third wall and then everything just comes home. Like it, it all comes at home as a freight train. Like it's not hold on to what you can. It's just let it, let it loose because our, our big plan was to kind of be a bit more reserved and then come back over the top. And that worked really well in the back half, but we needed something better for the front half. So we're working, try, working hard to, to try and get, what was it? it was go, go out in like 56 low or something like that. I can't really remember the exact time. It's all been such a blur, but it was about how easy can we go out in this um, really fast first hundred split. So, yeah, yeah, it was like 56 mid, I think, or 56 high even. But um, that's what we worked on. It was like the front half this time. And I don't know, it just didn't it didn't come together for the games as I would have liked. But, but, you know, like it was really hard to find that reset button. And I think in hindsight, it would have done better if I turned it into a block that focused not on trials but on the Olympics. But it was kind of putting that tail extension into it that was really hard for me. So, mm. you know, but we only got, I only got like five days back home on the Gold Coast before we went to Cairns because there was like one case in Brisbane or something an hour up the road and suddenly said, they said, all right, everyone in two hours, you've got to get on a plane. We're going to camp. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But that made it really easy because then I spent the best part of five weeks in Cairns with the whole team training together. And that was the environment I wanted to be in because back on the Gold Coast, all the people you were training with, they were having their break. Yeah, right. And I was there alone trying to do 200 backstroke training. It's not the most ideal. So we went into 
training and I was under Chris Mooney with um, Kaylee and well, Kaylee was the only one really doing my session. So it was like Kaylee and myself and Glenn was there as well, but we were doing sessions together and that made it a lot easier to yeah to get back on the grind and, and do the work you needed to do. Yeah, I can, yeah. I can imagine. Um, and I mean, it's it, it must be challenging to to think of it um, being an extra block. You know, in hindsight, it's it's easy to look at it that way. But when you haven't made, when you haven't um, you know qualified for the Olympics before or at, at that level, it's like you know, really, the goal is to qualify for the Olympics, right? And then yeah, um, yeah. you don't you don't want to go in um, you know training training for the Olympic swim. It's initially if you um, ha- haven't been there there before, so it's um, yeah, uh, yeah. Hindsight's wonderful sometimes, isn't it? You know, but uh, yeah, yeah. So, so what have you taken from um, from that that experience um, up to the the Olympics that you you know, might do differently next time, or um, yeah, some of those things that you, you've learned from it? I think uh, the big thing is is the way the way the taper because I tapered for three weeks into trials. Glenny loves a big three-week drop-down taper across a long period of time, and it works really well for me. Like, you feel a bit invincible in that first hundred when you've tapered for so long. You just have some sort of really light energy. I feel like I'm I'm bouncing on top of the water. It's <laughs> super easy, but but then something happens after the meet. The second you have even two days off or three days off, your body crashes, and you feel like you've lost six weeks of training. You've lost a lot of like bulk, and you've lost a lot of strength and easiness. And then the second you get back in the water, you're a sack of potatoes. So. <laughs> I think the biggest thing would be structuring our approach into trials different if it became the focus to do the big meet. If the world championships became the focus, trials wouldn't be. It would just be a, it, not to be like overconfident, but you'd go into trials thinking like, well, I've done the work to do the time I need to do, which I believe I can do like with a drop because we'd already shown that with a drop taper, I can do a good time mm. in during training, like with the, the April time. So I think it would be more about just changing the, the finish line bit of mental thing it's it's understated how much of it's just mental yeah I, know, especially in 200 swimming yeah you know. and yeah. uh and what about the the olympics for you what uh what was the same like the whole experience i'm talking about what was the, the same as what you had oh. had expected and what was was different um and none of it was really how i expected to be honest with you like the whole atmosphere was was unique to anything because I'd never made a major team before. So I had nothing to, to relate it to. And I'd come from a position of never having made youth teams or anything like that either. Like I, that was like my serious first overseas team beyond I'd done a couple of world cups and things like that, but they're a bit unique. And the only thing I could relate it to really was like school camp. When you get going, you get, you get given your team and school camp, or whatever, you got to go do activities and, <laughs> beat every other team in your activities and you'll get a gold medal at the end for it. Like it was really weirdly bubbled into this area and you don't, it's hard to think about the fact it's been televised worldwide. Like it's obviously there and at the forefront of the picture, but because you're not in everyday life and you're not around the media and you're not around people talking about it, you're actually in the event itself. It doesn't seem like it's such a big thing. Mm. At least that was my interpretation of it. Like I'm sure because I went in with no pressure. Like I went in with the whole, no, I, I got to the Olympics. That's like the the idea was just to get to the Olympics. And absolutely, I, I hope to make it final, but there are people there that are hoping to get a gold medal. Mm. And I'm sure the pressure that they're feeling on themselves is a different experience to what I had, but it was every bit as much fun as I hoped it would be. But um, it wasn't as I expected it would be. Like it was crazy. I, are you going and you feel so small. Everyone's so big. <laughs> every single athlete from every country is like seven foot tall and huge and 
they're all like massive rowers and there was some Chinese ex-NBA player. I don't know his name, I'm sure. People who follow the basketball do, but he was literally seven foot tall and stomping around. And it's, I don't know, you feel really like there's a whole world of athletes out there you never really thought of. That's it's so yeah. that's so funny coming from from you as well. Like you're 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 yeah you know, big, you're strong. Uh, how tall are you? Like, uh, six two. And you, okay, and you're six two as well. So it's like, um, but yeah. when you put the the, you know, the the fittest, the fastest athletes in the world from all the different sports, it's um. Yeah, like, I imagine it's easy to yeah. feel small, but like, yeah, you're not you're not small yourself. Like you're, um, you know, taller than your taller than your average um, guy out there, and and like, you yeah, know, you're you're a bit of a unit <laughs> when you, um, in, in terms then of all of a sudden everyone's like so tall. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, um, yeah, we're like get... volleyball player tall. Yeah, yeah, it's that's well, um, yeah. and then with the, all the other swimmers as well. Like, what was what was that like having the best swimmers in the world around and obviously people that you knew of, you got Dressel and you, you've got um, yeah. all, all the other famous swimmers there too. Like, was that strange to see them in person or was that just, that was fairly, you know. I was okay with actually seeing them and, and you know, meeting a few guys because I trained with a lot of big names before and uh, I'd done ISL and World Cups yeah. already and been around some of the real big money makers and the names of the sport. And and made friends with quite a few of them already. It wasn't foreign to speak to one or get to meet one, but it was more the it was more the racing, the full field because I've like I'd raced Yu before. I'd raced Mitch many times because he's in Australia, obviously, and I'd never come across the whole field together, sort of thing. Like mm. I'd never I'd never come across all of them in the one race, and like I'd trained with Luke Greenbank for for a couple of weeks when they came out to to the Gold Coast, so. They weren't foreign as individuals, but once they all got put together, I remember being really, really nervous in the heats, kind of sitting around these guys. Like next to me was like Iri, oh, I can't remember, is it Rukasau, however you say his last name, but Iri was there and he's like yeah. a massive name. I'd never met him before and he's like a massive name and all of a sudden like they're all in the race. It was a bit yeah, overwhelming for the heats, but I thought it was really cool coming out of it to be like, oh, like I got to race those guys and I had a chat to Ryan Murphy afterwards. I said, oh, your stroke's beautiful and he's got shoulders that just look like absolute mountains. But, <laughs> but um, I don't know, I got really, really nervous, but I still got through the heats okay. It was more the semis that I think I was more disappointed in, but yeah. And what did you place overall? Yeah. 10th, 10th overall. 10th, so yeah, so close. But, um, How far off semis were you? It was like 0.2. Yeah, okay, is that close? The final, yeah. Crazy. But it was point two. It would have been different if I went a PB and I was point two behind. But it was point two when I was like, what I went one fifty six eight. So I was point six behind, point four behind my PB. So my PB would have made the final. And, and I watched it the next morning as well. My PB would have got like fourth or fifth. But I'm sure yeah. there's plenty of people in the field that had that that thought going through their head. You know, we all were put in the same boat. So mm. it turned out how it did. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember um, Lee. Um, so yeah, Lee Nugent saying about when. Um, swimmers go to like an event, event like this there if they're often used to just being so far ahead of the field and I imagine that's like you racing you know, here in Australia it's like yeah you might yeah. have Mitch there but aside from that like you're pretty pretty well clear of the field and then when you go to the Olympics you've got people either side and it's such a tight race across the whole board like yeah. what how, yeah. how was that experience for you just you know I mean I guess you've, you've raced ISL so it's obviously different also, that way but um, yeah how's that experience when you've yeah. Um, so having raced ISL, um, obviously that you, 
you're around that sort of competition. But at the Olympics, like how is it yeah. when you've just got people so close to you and it's such a tight race compared to just racing domestically? I saw in the Olympics, I think. I mean, my experiences of them were completely different things. Because right. of a, a, because of short course, but B, because of just the, the, the atmosphere of the people there. Because ISL comes really at the end of the big season. So a lot of people are, are kind of winding down in their, in their training and they go there and it's a lot of fun. And ISL um, does a really good job of creating an atmosphere of fun, of, of making the, like the athletes feel like they can be relaxed and, and enjoy themselves and just have a, have a good time and, and not, not race week, but, you know, just to make sure that they're not taking it as the big, massive, serious meet of the year. They want people to, to present that sense of fun to the crowd and the audience and the people watching at home because it, it makes it more relatable rather than a big, serious thing. So the Olympics was completely different, I think, in terms of the way I went into it headspace-wise. But then with the people being fast, I actually spoke about this with um, my coach. I think it was harder to raise people you can't see, specifically in backstroke, because <laughs> when they're up with you, you can't see them. Like when you're yeah. shoulder to shoulder, you can't see them beyond a little bit of splash maybe from the kick. But if they're back on your feet, you've got the, they're almost like pacemakers for you. you. You kind of know what the field's going to be doing. So you know if you're placed in this spot in relation to the field, you can kind of get a gauge for how you're traveling in the race. But in this yeah. one, you're really blind to what's going on around you. And that's specific to backstroke, I think. I've always thought I'd, I'd be a bit envious of freestylers, how they can race <laughs> each other the whole way. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like what makes you really competitive is wanting to beat the guy next to you. But when you can't see the guy next to you, it makes it much harder to, to apply that, that, that drive. But um, I, don't know, I, I put it down to one of the reasons I don't think I swam as well. But and then at the end of the day, like it's on me to, to swim my race rather than swimming the race against the guys next to me. But like in the semifinals, I came back in in 29 flat yeah. in the last 50, but my best back end up to that point was 29.3. But it just represents that I hadn't, I hadn't put out the pace in the early part of the race that I needed to. I, like I, I came back with a lot of steam, but it just showed I'd held off too much. But I think that's partly because I didn't know I was holding off too much. Like yeah, if, you, right. if you know where the people are around you, you can tell if you're too far back or too far forwards, you can know those things. But when I, I had no idea what was going on around me until the last lap, really, mm. then it, then it, I think it just got too far out of hand. I think that's why I kind of didn't race the race I wanted to, but, but that's just something to work on in the future. You know, like everyone has to, has to go and do it themselves. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's um... maybe solutions. Sorry, maybe the solution, because everyone's a 156 swimmer there at Strange. Like the whole field suddenly does 156s. Like it's insane. You haven't seen one for three years and then suddenly 20 <laughs> yeah. guys doing it. But maybe the solution is to be a 154 swimmer and then they're the people you can pace off of, like, you know, just to make it the next step up. Yeah. Have you have you always been quite uh, ref reflective of your swimming and uh, mentally how you're traveling and physically? It's, it seems as though you, you're tuned into that uh, quite quite a bit is that something that you've, you've always had yeah but i think um you can't overthink it at times like i don't think it's so much of a help as it is it's good to always be reflective and i think the way i race the 200 specifically is really in the moment and I, I, I do well when i can think and have a clear head and know what's going on around me because if it all becomes a blur then suddenly you've, you've gone out too fast and i've died and i don't know what happened that just went wrong somewhere like i've always been very clear with my racing but we'll go through it a lot with my coach and, and talk about these things, but then it becomes down to 
it's just four laps. And sometimes I think it might be better just to dumb it down and just think, just get to the wall as fast as you can. Because you get all up in your own head, especially about the 200, you can get all up in your own head because it's such a painful race if you do it wrong. But I think it's, it's harder <laughs> sometimes to overthink it. Yeah, yeah. It's um, not that I know him, but uh, just based on what I've seen, like it, it's probably easier to be um, maybe a bit like Ryan Lochte, you know, just <laughs> a little yeah, uh, just, oblivious to things. Yeah. And, but he, like, he <laughs> races as well. Like it'd be great to just um, yeah. <laughs> not not think about things too much, but um, we're all we're all built how we're built, right? And it's uh, yeah. everyone's got their own sort of personality and uh, and all of that. Yeah. Because so, um, I often find the hardest race for me is often the heat swim. Why is to that? Be honest, like at Australian champs, the hardest race was the heats because I went in knowing that I didn't have to swim that hard. But then that kind of second guessing nature of not knowing you don't have to swim that hard to make the final also then comes into like, well, how hard don't I swim? And like, am I swimming <laughs> hard enough? Or am I, like, what am I doing here? And it's almost the second guessing that makes the race harder. Yeah. But in the finals, you kind of get this clarity of like, all right, I'm just going to do the best I can do and we'll see what happens. Like it, it's a much easier race to execute. Yeah. yeah it makes makes sense. and sometimes it's less painful that way as well for some reason like the pb feels less painful than the bad 159 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh and what about now so um you you'll get home in, in a couple of days time what are your plans from here uh i'll spend like four or five days on the gold coast uh get a tattoo how exciting nice and, getting um, it? We, i think i'm gonna get it on the forearm but it's not fully decided yet yeah, on the right forearm because it seems to be. I was thinking about it back um, before I even went to the Olympics. I was thinking about getting it there, and went there. And to my knowledge, at that point, the only person who had it there was Dressel. And then coming off of the back of that and going to ISL, every single person and his dog has it there. Oh, uh, really? Like it seems to be like the. It seems to be like the trendy spot of the year. So and on I'm the inside, second guessing it. On the inside, yeah, like on the inside, like in the crook, sort of thing. Like gotcha. Yeah, probably a little bit smaller than than usual, but yeah. It was either there or like inside the bicep, but yeah. Yeah. But like everyone's done that this year. And so it's a little bit like, well, I don't know. I want it to be unique and special to me, but you know, there's not many people with the tattoo. So we'll see where it goes. It's on the forehead or on but, the um, neck or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe I could get it on the small of my back. Yeah. yeah. I, but, I think um, forearm's good because then, uh, yeah, you wear a t-shirt more. Yeah. People see it there. If yeah. It's like on the peg yeah, or yeah. something. It's like, well, you got to be swimming to, for people to see it. So let people know straight yeah. away when they go to shake your hand, they see it there. So yeah. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of different spots I could, you know, I've thought about, but we'll see where, where, yeah, it's not, but, um, but I'll, I'll spend like three or four days on the Gold Coast. And then I'm actually going to turn around and drive back to, to New South Wales. Cause my family, we grew up in Newcastle. My family's in and around that area. So I'll spend, until december i think well until the borders open realistically yeah. once the border between new south wales and queensland opens I'll, I'll head back but that might be as late as like a couple of weeks before christmas so mm. i'll have a break then i won't be completely out of the water i'll go and find a pool but but i'm not going to be thinking about training all those sorts of things i'm going to go and surf and enjoy myself and mentally reset because i want to go to paris and, and do the next olympics so i need a reset big enough to have another three-year grind yeah absolutely you know, and yeah. you, you find surfing's one of those things for you that helps you do it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I love surfing. And it's been one of the biggest contentions with my coaches and my lab <laughs> to surf a couple of weeks out from the competition. Because often the big comps are in the middle of winter. <laughs> and that's the best season for surfing. It's like the Aprils and the, the, the Mays are like often the best swells of the year. And do you go and surf eight hours a day when you've got, yeah. I don't know, a big meet coming in four weeks? Like what if you injure yourself? It's, yeah. This year I was very light on it, but I think 
if it's not an Olympic year, it'd be hard to keep me away from a good swell. Yeah, I understand. And yeah. you guys had a, yeah. it was like, it was pumping up on the Gold Coast, like for most of winter by the look of it. There was some yeah. crazy swells. Yeah, yeah. So it must have been hard sitting on, had, your, on your hands <laughs> to, to not go. I had my last, um, I had my last surf in April. I think, oh, wow. I broke my board and very nearly, um, I very nearly hurt myself really bad. So I was like, all right, that's it. That's done. And I haven't touched the water since, but, um, it was a very, very good swell. And I was like, oh, I should, I shouldn't. And I went in and I got a couple of really good ones. And then I kind of went out that one time too many, got a bit cocky and, and got slapped around for it. So maybe a blessing yeah. in disguise. Course, it could have been a very different year if that, if that changed things. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad you got to where you are now and you made the team. Yeah. And, um, so am I. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we'll enjoy the surfing over your break and uh, appreciate being on the, on the podcast and sharing your story. And like I was saying before, just right. being open and having uh, a, a conversation like this, because uh, for me, when I'm hosting these and, and for me, when I'm listening to podcasts, it's like, I, I love it when people are, um, willing to be open and, and share what they're actually thinking about and going through like you have. So uh, thanks very much and uh, wish Absolutely. you all the best in the future. Yeah. No worries, Brenton. Appreciate it. Call anytime. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.